0: Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I open with these words from Hebrews 13 every year when I begin a confirmation class with a new group of students. I'll let you know why coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Sisters, brothers, friends, fellow pilgrims, and co adventurers on this journey of faith, greetings to you in Christ Jesus. My name is Patrick Conley, and I am humbled, honored, and grateful to be the new host of The Inner Life right here on Relevant Radio on relevantradio.com and the Relevant Radio app. Well, first things first, please join me in thanking God for the faithful dedication, the hard work, and the holy humility of Chuck Neff and Josh Raymond as the former hosts of the show. Thank you, gentlemen, and job very well done. I have some big shoes to fill. Well, since this is my first show as host, I thought I'd give a brief biographical sketch, as I hope we will be journeying together for a good time to come here on The Inner Life. I was born, bred, and baptized in Wisconsin, where I grew up in a mainline Protestant tradition, and Jesus seemed like a close friend from an early age. In the late 1980s, I moved to the Twin Cities of Minneapolis-St. Paul for my undergraduate studies at the University of Minnesota. And there I became part of evangelical Protestantism, and my faith blossomed as I got to know the scriptures and the inherent missionary call of the gospel. I also met the woman who had become my wife, and we married in 1999. We lived in the Twin Cities for nearly 20 years, all but for three wonderful years that we spent in England, where I had the privilege to study theology at the University of Oxford. And it was in that experience that the Lord began seriously calling me to the Catholic Church. And in 2009, now back in the Twin Cities, my wife and I began RCIA together, and we were received into the church at the Easter Vigil in 2010 at the beautiful Cathedral of St. Paul. About five and a half years ago, we followed the Lord's lead to move back to Wisconsin, to my wife's growing up farm in rural central Wisconsin, where she is the fifth generation of her family to be inhabiting the land. Yeah, but not being farmers, the Lord has kept us busy serving him and his church. My wife is in her first year as principal of our local Catholic school, and I am involved in a number of different faith-related endeavors, now, of course, including hosting the Inner Life. Deo gracias. One of the other things I do, though, is co-teaching our parish confirmation classes. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, I like to begin each new confirmation prep year by quoting Hebrews 13 8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever why do I do that I'll be honest I'm not entirely sure <laughs> Well, at least not yet but as I prepared for my very first confirmation class the Lord kept putting that verse in my mind and on my heart I wasn't sure why but I decided to trust him and obey What I perceive to be his call. And that is what we're focusing on today here on the inner life obedience. What is obedience? How do we live lives in accordance with God's will? How does our obedience to other authority figures, parents, teachers, pastors, bosses, spouses, how does all that tie into our obedience to Jesus? How about when being obedient is difficult? What about when we fail? All this and more in the hour ahead. Thanks for joining me and our spiritual director today, who is Father Rob Kroll, S.J. Father Kroll is a Jesuit priest and the director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Father Kroll, thanks for being with us
1: today. Hey, Patrick. Good to be with you and our listeners, and a special word of welcome and congratulations. So, welcome aboard, and uh, it's wonderful to hear a little bit about your background. As well today, so thanks for sharing that. thank you well i am
0: I am privileged and honored, as I said, and grateful. And uh, but before we get into obedience, Father, it also is worth noting that today is also uh, the day when ten years ago, a fellow Jesuit of yours was elected to the see of St Peter. Uh And uh, so seeing as it is the 10th anniversary of the election of Pope Francis, wondering if you can share just a few of particularly the Ignatian features of his papacy and, um, yeah, kind of enlighten us some.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. And, you know, one of the things that might be interesting to people is why hasn't there been a Jesuit Pope before this, before Pope Francis? Because, uh, you know, we've been around for over 500 years, and and in all humility, you know, the Jesuits have had quite the uh, influence in the Church, and we've had a lot of, you know, Jesuits that are kind of well-known because of their missionary activity or their erudition and their work in the academic area. And so it might seem unusual um, that we didn't have a Jesuit pope before a decade ago. But, you know, one of the things that people should know is that our founder, St. Ignatius, actually discouraged his uh, spiritual sons from accepting positions of honor and power in in the church. And in fact, when we take our final vows, we promise very explicitly not to strive for or ambition for any uh, prelacy or dignity outside of the Society of Jesus, and um, and actually, to the best of our ability, we're we're not supposed to even to consent to uh, such an election unless we're kind of forced to do do so by obedience again, obedience right. to someone who can order me to do that under penalty of sin. So my point being that I think that already says something about Pope Francis and. You know, he, uh, I think he has been for, you know, uh, many, not just Catholics, but many people around the world, kind of an example of of humility and simplicity, uh, being close to ordinary people. Um, You know, we know that already as Archbishop of Buenos Aires, he would often cook his own meals, he would take the bus as opposed to being driven around. And and now as Pope, you know, he tries, I think, uh, live simply and, you know, he rides in a more simple car and carries his own uh, satchel around and so forth. And so I think part of that, too, is Ignatian, because Ignatius encouraged the Jesuits to really love poverty, in his words, as a mother, and to actively choose to imitate the poor Christ. Mm. Um, one of the things I think—yeah, And if you have anything to, to interject, please do. Uh, otherwise, I'll just keep babbling on here. <laughs> <laughs> well— but, uh,
0: yeah, I just was thinking of, I, I know when he was uh, elected, one of the one of the memes that was going around the internet at that time was uh, a picture of him depicting him uh, checking out of his hotel, and the, the yes. caption said something like, you know, he's personally doing this, and the caption says, I checked in under another name, which I oh, thought was right. rather genius.
1: Yeah. Yes, no, that was very clever, and I can still see that image. He's standing there at the desk and right. he's got that black satchel in his hand and yeah so i think from the get go he's trying to you know show the world that um the papacy and you know church hierarchy is not primarily about you know a lot of the trappings and a lot of the privileges and and he wants to be somebody that is very close to ordinary people and and that to me is ignatian too because we jesuits often use this phrase, finding God in all things, you know, that God can be found anywhere and incarnates himself uh, very tangibly within, you know, the world at large, Uh, even though it's a fallen world and there's much disorder in the world, that God loves this world and created it out of love and and wants to be close to it. Um, In in one of uh, of the early interviews he gave, uh, Pope Francis said this, he says, I I have a dogmatic certainty God is in every person's life. God is in everyone's life. Even if the life of a person has been a disaster, even if it's destroyed by vices, drugs, or anything else, God is in this person's life. You can, you must try to seek God in every human life. And I think, you know, one of the things he's tried to do is in his travels, his missionary travels, and wherever he is, even as, as he welcomes homeless people into uh, part of uh, part of his residence of the Vatican. He tries to stay close to the poor and, and to ordinary people. And, and he talks about going to the peripheries, you know, and, yeah. and I think that there's a whole missionary thrust in his pontificate that again, you know, being the largest missionary order in the church, uh, Ignatius himself spent the last Couple decades of his life, basically in one room in Rome, writing letters and, and governing the society. But he sent a lot of his early companions around the world um, on mission, and, and 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 not just geographical distances. But but you know, Jesuits have been very engaged in the world of art and science and, and all the various uh, human activities and, and um, intellectual domains. And so I think that spirit is something that animates. Um, uh, Pope Francis—it's kind of a world-embracing spirituality, I guess I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those are some things that come to mind about him. And he said in that same interview that he gave in uh, August of 2013, he said, "Who is Jorge Mario uh, Bergoglio? I am a sinner. A I am sinner. a sinner. Who the that. Lord? Yep." I am a sinner whom the Lord has looked upon. And that's a big part of our spirituality from the spiritual exercises, that we're, we're sinners yet loved. And that's very important, you know, that we don't deny that we're sinners, but we recognize that even in our sin, uh, God loves us deeply and, and extends his mercy to us. So I, I think that idea of being a companion of, of Jesus uh, is really important for, for uh, Pope Francis. So, yeah. so those would be some things I'd highlight
0: great great well it's it's no lie that all we like sheep have gone astray and yeah. that actually you know kind of propels us well into our topic for the day obedience uh, mm-hmm. was we're mm-hmm. speaking about here on the inner life today and we have gone astray and uh, as as i understand it i've never actually tried to shepherd sheep but i've seen it done um and it's uh it's no easy task thank thank no. goodness for for sheep right. dogs that can help us out with that right um so it's right. a, it's an apt analogy perhaps but uh so we see that of course in like john chapter 10 we uh hear jesus saying my sheep hear my voice and they follow me right and uh so there's something like that a little bit later on, Jesus is telling his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, you'll be obedient. So mm-hmm. ob- obedience really permeates. Of course, you know, we have all the laws, especially the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, um, but this doesn't go away. As we know, Jesus came to not to abolish, but to fulfill. So it seems like obedience is just pervasive throughout Scripture. Why do you think that is, Father? Why is obedience such a core value all the way through the Bible?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it has to do with the fact that unlike the other creatures in the world that God has created, we human beings are unique in that we're given this beautiful but also risky gift of freedom, you know? When you think about the birds and the bees and the bunnies out there, um, they just praise God and give Him glory by obeying their nature, kind of they just follow instinct, and they don't really have the freedom to, you know, to love, for example. Mm-hmm. You and I, we have the great gift of freedom, which which, on the one hand uh, makes us much more exalted and dignified than other Animals, you know, we're rational animals. We can think and use our freedom well, but we know that we can also abuse our freedom and use it in a very disordered way. And, and in doing so, we kind of can sink lower than the animals, as it were. And so I think obedience is tied up with this gift of freedom because uh, it's very hard for us in our fallen state to really truly accept the reality that authentic freedom means submitting to the will of another, you know, right. and if I can use an analogy, I, I taught high school uh, for 14 years, and so I worked with adolescents, <laughs> and it was great. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, they're really, you know, they were very fun, and I enjoyed the ministry. I, I was an adolescent once, you know, many of you have had adolescent children out there. You know that an adolescent tends to define freedom as you know mom and dad get off my back you know church don't tell me what to do just basically leave me alone let me do what i want when i want how i want and 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 essentially it's like license you know it's not freedom it's license and and we know where that leads you know that and there's a lot of adults unfortunately that operate out of that kind of adolescent notion and you know inevitably we end up unhappy and and less free and enslaved you know by things and addictions and all that so the point is that you know the the paradox is that real flourishing, human flourishing and freedom and joy and all of that, it it requires that we actually surrender our will ultimately to God and to to His commandments, you know, and Mm. I think when we, in our fallen state, we hear, and the the biblical language has a lot of this, um, and we've been hearing it during Lent, like words like commandments, um, laws, precepts, decrees, statutes. All of this can sound so legalistic to our ears, you know, and it seems as if God just gives us a whole bunch of rules to follow, and we just blindly uh, obey, and that's it, you know, and that sounds very enslaving. But when we when we see that God gives us all of these commandments and laws because he designed us and he knows what's going to lead to our happiness. And by following his will, we actually flourish. You know, then then we can obey not just blindly and not re- reluctantly, but but actually out of love, you know. Yeah. Um, so that that's you know the main notion I want to get across in our show today is that, yeah you know, obedience in our culture, it, it sounds so counterintuitive but obedience is really the path to uh freedom and joy
0: to true know? freedom yeah and that's that's exactly I'm glad you brought that up because it does it to our to our uh natural inclinations to our human ears it sounds a lot like well obedience is actually a surrendering of Freedom, but um, right. I like the distinction you made between freedom and license, which mm-hmm. are yeah two mm-hmm. different things. And uh, we do find mm-hmm. our true freedom only in the Lord. We're speaking with Lord. Father Kroll today, uh, Father Rob Kroll, who mm-hmm. is the spiritual director of spiritual formation at Saint Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee. We're speaking about obedience. How about you? Are you an obedient person? Did you ever struggle with obedience? I think that's probably a a yes for all of us, right? But perhaps towards uh, authority figures, maybe parents or teachers growing up. Did you have a lot of that adolescent mindset of, um, well, obedience means no freedom. Do you struggle with obedience to your boss? How have you become more obedient? How have you cultivated obedience in your life? Give us a call. Join the conversation. Our number here on The Inner Life is 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. You can also send us an email. and That email address is at relevantradio.com. We're going to take a short break, but we're going to be back right after this with more about obedience here on The Inner Life. Stay with us battling addictions? Our sponsor, St. Gregory Recovery Center, can help you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at relevantradio.com slash Gregory. That's relevantradio.com slash Gregory. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio. My name is Patrick Conley, and we are talking about obedience with our spiritual director, Father Rob Kroll, SJ, the director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee. So, Father, as we're defining our terms here, maybe uh, help us to understand a little bit better, then, what is the, the biblical or the Catholic understanding of the term obedience? How do we, How do we approach it?
1: Well, I think, you know, before the break, we were talking about the difference between license and and freedom, you know, right. and, and how our freedom needs to be kind of guided and shaped by obedience. And, you know, actually, as we were uh, talking about that, I had this kind of image that came to mind, uh, which I sometimes invoke as an illustration of this difference. But, um, you know, when I was a kid, I took piano lessons for a bunch of years. And if you think about a, a young kid who might sit down at the piano, never having taken a lesson at all, and just begins kind of willy-nilly pounding away at the keys you know there's 88 keys on the keyboard and they're just going nuts you know pounding away i mean they might feel like they're totally free because it's unrestricted they can hit the keys in any order but we know that all that really produces is is noise and it's kind of ugly you know and you think about you know in contrast to that let's say a you know a virtuoso pianist a concert pianist we pay big bucks to go see him or her and you know, that, that person was very obedient to kind of the rules of playing the piano. They had to practice all the scales, and they follow the notation on the piano concerto. So they're not they're not just doing whatever they want. They're kind of submitting to the, as it were, to the um, will of the composer. But in doing that, you know, it's, it produces a beautiful sound. and something that we love to listen to, and we'll even pay a lot of money to go hear that person. I, I think that's maybe a, another concrete, you know, metaphor for how um when we when we really do uh submit our our wills to uh, you know to the god who loves us and who designed us that ultimately what's going to be produced is something beautiful and yeah. not ugly and discordant but yeah for us as christians i mean obviously you know the word i i sometimes like looking at the etymology of a word you know right. and when you look at obedience uh ab odire, it it really means to listen, in its root meaning it's to listen. And so, you know, obedience as Christians means we're listening to the voice of God as it reaches us in many different ways. I mean, it it could be through the church's official teachings, and the magisterium, obviously, but it could also be something that God, you know, I think about your little uh, introduction and how you, you know, you were obedient to God's voice as he led you, you know, through Christian uh, you know, be these beautiful Christian experiences, ultimately to the Catholic Church, and right. so you were you were listening to what the Lord was putting on your mind and heart, and 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 you could have disobeyed, you know, you could have rejected that, but you listened. So I think, you know, each of us is undertaking a discernment for God's will in our own life, but we don't do that in a vacuum or in isolation. We do it under the authority of, of the Church and her teachings. Uh, we do it also, like, maybe with a spiritual director or somebody who is trying to you know, accompany us and walk with us. Um, but I think in, in, in essence, it's it's like Jesus himself uh, listening to the Father. He often, in the Gospels we're told, he often goes off and prays in solitude with the Father, and he's listening to the voice of the Father and trying to obey his will at all times. And And we know that can be a challenge. I mean, in the garden, right. he says, Father, you know, if this cup can pass me by, but your will be done. He always adds that, your will yeah. be done. So that's what I think we need to do as well.
0: I think that's an excellent point and that's uh, what was going through my head too and it's it's rather amazing to me that uh, Jesus is such a striking example of obedience himself you know he didn't mm-hmm. come to lord it over us right but uh, rather not to be served but to serve but and, it, and in exactly. that I think I love the uh, I love going back to your analogy too father I love the idea that uh, obedience can actually unleash the well, the beautiful, the true, the good in our in our midst, right? Whereas, if we're left to our own devices, we're probably going to end up with something, certainly less than, if not by itself, uh, well, ugly, uh, evil, and yeah. false, right? So, um, right, right. So. I love it. I love the thought of that and that Jesus himself is is the the prime example of obedience to the will of the
1: Father and uh what a great what a great brother in the faith we have, a brother and a oh, lord. So, oh Totally. Man. And and there's yeah. there's some great verses too that we can ponder. You know, I think about that uh Philippians 2 uh verse 8 phrase about uh Jesus humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross right. and Hebrews five eight two, You know, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And what what those are highlighting too, whether it's uh, the Philippians reference to the cross or Hebrews reference to what he suffered, you know, we often learn obedience by suffering. It's it's not all sweetness and light, you know. And, and so we know that sometimes in our human experience, yeah, we're, our pri- we're we're prone to pride. It's generally you know seen as the worst of the seven deadly sins, and so, you know, the opposite of pride, of course, is humility, and we might have a chance to, to talk about humility in our program yep. today, but, you know, humility and obedience are very linked, because it takes a real humble person to be able to uh, obey the will of, of someone else, you know, and... um Yeah. So I just say I think it's it's a really important virtue for us, uh, obedience and humility, you know. Right. Right. And
0: uh, and that's just it. And it's not always easy, as you're saying. And if you are a listener, if you have something maybe that you're going through even right now where it's tough, it's tough to be obedient. You find yourself pulled in the opposite direction and you're needing a little spiritual advice. Give us a call right here on The Inner Life, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Or maybe you have a great testimony about how you have learned obedience and perhaps, as Father just said, through suffering. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Well, let's jump into that—the the humility piece, there, Father, because I think that is such a such a huge piece, and and to me, it seems like obedience is is always kind of uh, chipping away at our pride. Right? Pride might be mm-hmm. maybe one of the principal enemies of obedience. Would you say that's mm-hmm. true?
1: I think that's very true, you know, and again, it's not that we we sometimes talk about taking pride in something we've done or it's not like, you know, I think when we talk about obedience and humility, we need to be careful that we're not talking about, you know, just being an abject, you know, worm or, you know, having no self-esteem or anything like that. It's just saying that, you know, we're prone to always want to put ourselves, our ego, our desires and our will at the center of everything and have everyone else Kind of uh, bow down to us, and and so you know the the virtue of obedience and humility really helps us to say no, uh, you know God is the center of my life, and it's His will that I want to fulfill, because again that's going to be my salvation. That's going to be what makes me the saint that He wants me to be, and part of that means also obeying others. You know, we talked about church, church authority, but you know you've brought up the example of a boss for example um i think even in a marriage you know we can talk about a certain obedience to one's spouse uh you know where there's kind of that funny line about your 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 wish is my command you know dear right. um and 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 so you know there but in a good way we want to be surrendering our life you know to the you know in a good way to the will of of the other person assuming of course that they're not um going to uh, misuse that but that we're we're both trying to Really serve and please and love the other spouse, and so I think, yeah, in a good marriage, um, obedience and humility are, are really crucial. And of course, the children should obey parents. Uh, you know, again, not not um, um, without maybe some struggle or recognizing that parents can make mistakes; they're not perfect. But in general, if if parenting is going well, um, you want to be obeying uh, these legitimate. You know, guides that God has put in my life, my parents, and same with teachers and other authority figures. So, you know, I think in our culture, you know, we've we've often, uh, you know, we prize freedom in such a way that sometimes we rebel against legitimate authority. And and so um, that doesn't mean that we just, you know, turn off our brains. And at times we might have to legitimately disobey an, an unjust law or something like that. But but in general, if if things are going well. Uh, we should be prepared to obey those that God has put You know, in our life as as legitimate authorities.
0: Right. And that's that's another tough place, too, um, is sometimes figuring that out, but also recognizing who is a, as you put it, Father, a legitimate authority. I can't can't tell you how many times, um, especially in kind of my college days and that sort of things, that whenever uh, some of my friends were asked and, you know, we were trying to be pursuant after the Lord. But whenever they were asked or even commanded to do something that was by a legitimate authority figure and it was not sinful, they would invoke uh, St. Peter's words from Acts 5 where he says, we must obey God rather than men. And it was kind of the way of throwing under the bus, you know, any kind of human authority. But, right. uh, but that's not the way we view obedience, too. There is a necessity of being obedient to other people who are in legitimate positions of authority over us, right?
1: You're absolutely right. You know, you can't invoke uh, Scripture in order to somehow debunk legitimate human authority. I mean, again, God— usually acts in a mediated way and incarnates himself through, you know, people that are trying to follow him. And and, and there are specific, in our understanding as Catholics, there are specific individuals that have been given kind of a divine uh, aid or assistance to teach the truth and to remain faithful to the truth. Um, So we talk about the magisterium as, you know, the, the bishops of the world in union with the Pope and that they're given a special grace uh, to teach truth and to be preserved from error and that gets complicated obviously there's there's a lot of subtleties there but in general you know we would say that yes we are obliged to follow um you know these truths of our of our faith i think even of of in our society you know like following traffic laws or other other laws that are in and of themselves totally legitimate you know i mean imagine what our society would be like if there were no laws and no rules, and everybody was left, you know, to just do it he or she wanted. I mean, it would be chaos, and right. and it would work against the building up of a community and love. And so, so again, it's hard for us to maybe grasp that uh, obedience is the path to uh, to authentic freedom. And you know, there's a little wisdom that comes from Saint Ignatius actually that might be helpful here too, because he wrote a letter. Uh, during his lifetime to Jesuits who were living in Portugal at the time. And he kind of distinguished various grades of obedience. Now this has to do with my, like my vow of obedience as a religious, but he says that the kind of the lowest level of obedience is just merely executing um, the command of the superior. So you may interiorly be totally uh, rebellious, but you're just going to do it externally because you have this vow. But then he says a a higher level of obedience is actually making the superior's will my own. And so trying to Hmm. conform my own will to his, and then the highest form of obedience is actually having the same mind of the superior and kind of like submitting my own personal judgment or understanding. And I think that's really helpful because we can, we can obey someone externally, but grumble and complain and rebel within our hearts, and that's, that's not as virtuous, I think, as really trying to, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. submit ourselves completely interiorly to, to the other.
0: Right, I'm just chuckling because, uh, yeah, that that never happens, does it? When we're begrudgingly no. following another person, <laughs> yeah, his or her commands or orders, or right, yeah, right. yeah, right.
1: And we never complain to others about it. You know, we always no, never inter- inside, don't we? <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Heavy on right. the sarcasm there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, that's a. I think that's some great advice from Saint Ignatius, and it's uh, something that we can and do uh, incorporate. Or we, we should at least into our spiritual mm. lives that we become Mm -hmm. more and more obedient to, even God's will should become that way too, right? We can pray, I suppose, the Our Father, you know, thy will be done, or we can imitate Mm -hmm. our Lord and praying, not my will, but yours be done. We can do that Mm -hmm. grumblingly, or Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we can do that and making his will our own. And then eventually, please God, we end up, yeah, uh, being able to live in God's will which is, uh, yeah. I think it's a great sign of spiritual maturity. Our spiritual director today is Father Rob Kroll, S.J., the Director of Spiritual Formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee. We're talking about obedience. Perhaps there's somebody in your life that you're struggling to be obedient to right now. Love to hear from you. Give us a call, 888 Again, eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine, Or send us an email, innerlife at well, Father, you've mentioned this a couple times, and i, I can't uh, I can't stay away from it. In that um, being a religious priest, of course, you have these three evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Mm-hmm. And whenever I have a, a conversation with a religious uh, person or priest, um, they they inevitably, if we're talking about these things, they will come back and they'll say, "Yeah, the hardest one, obedience." That is the hardest. So, t- t- I mean, tell us about that. Is that is that uh, your experience? And uh, if either way, I mean, what's so hard about it?
1: Yeah. You know, actually, uh, I would say for myself, it has been, uh, at times the most challenging. I mean, we could say that chastity of course is challenging because we live in a very sure. eroticized culture. And, and so kind of the day to day task of trying to not just remain chaste in my actions, but even in my thoughts and all that. I mean, that, that's that, that's maybe a more ongoing daily challenge, but, um, but a lot of Jesuits that I know, and, and, and this has been my experience too, would say that, yes, obedience can be the more challenging vow because um, at some point in our vowed life, we may get an assignment that we don't really uh, think is suited to us, or it's not something that we're very passionate about. This happened to me, um, a number of years ago when I was asked, I I had asked if I could go and work in campus ministry because I enjoy working with young people, young adults. And, uh, and I think I have a gift for kind of relating to them. And, and I thought, you know, this would be awesome. And then my provincial said, well, I actually want you to consider, uh, spending a year on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South mm. Dakota, and then yep. with, with a view of possibly making that a long-term, you know, mission, a long-term assignment. And so it was interesting because I, you know, initially I kind of, was resistant to that. I wrote him a letter in which I I told him right off the bat that with my vow of obedience, I I would certainly go where I'm assigned. So it wasn't like I was going to be disobedient. But I I tried to list what I thought were some pros and some cons. And anyway, long story short, I did go for a couple of years. And um, by the end of those two years, I think it was kind of clear to me and to the to the province, to the provincial um, and it was, actually a, it was actually a different provincial at that time then who had come on board than the one who had assigned me. But, you know, it was clear just based on the f- fruit, what was happening, that I, I was struggling a lot with being there, and it, it wasn't probably going to be a good long-term assignment. I'm very happy that I said yes and that I gave it a, a, a you know a yeoman's effort. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes I wonder if, if maybe, you know, I I was not as obedient as I could have been, but... I think, you know, part of that for me says that um when when we when we as religious take on an assignment and we obey, the the discernment doesn't end there. You know, you keep discerning and seeing what the fruit of it is and so you, you know, I'm trying to obey my provincial but I'm also trying to obey, you know, the will of God as it's revealed to me in my own life and prayer. So I think whereas um maybe in many past generations obedience was kind of a blind thing. You would literally just see your name on a bulletin board and, like, you're going here, you know, no conversation, no discernment together. Today, I think we understand obedience to involve kind of a mutual discernment. In the, at, at the end of the day, I'm still going to go where the provincial wants me to go, but I can do that more easily if I know that he's heard me out, that he's that he's listened to what's coming up in my own prayer, too. You know, I mean he he doesn't have uh, just the the whole market on the on the truth maybe either. So it you know it it's kind of a mutually discerned thing but but uh, yeah I think a lot of us find that uh, obedience can be very challenging especially when you know I'm asked to do something I don't particularly care to do and and if we've been at a place for a while where we feel happy and and competent and we've made some good friendships then to have to be pulled out of that to go somewhere else uh start fresh Especially as an older person, that can be a challenge. Yeah.
0: It's it's tough, all right. And again, the picture of Jesus in the garden uh, comes to mind. That uh, yeah, he mm-hmm. was pretty pretty competent in his uh, in his ministry of teaching and healing and uh, driving out demons and then uh, but that uh, he was called to even greater things for him to die okay. for our salvation so sure. wonderful as we're speaking with our spiritual director father Rob Croll SJ and about obedience here on the inner life if you have a story of how you have learned obedience to the father's will or how you've expressed obedience to another human, uh, here in this life, we'd love to hear your story, Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. we got to take another quick break. We're going to do that, and uh, we'll have more on obedience on the inner life right after this. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center, helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at relevantradio.com slash Gregory. That's relevantradio.com slash Gregory. Welcome back to the Inner Life here on Relevant Radio. I'm Patrick Conley, your host. I want to give my thanks to our able-bodied and able-spirited producer Nick Sentevich, and as well as Thomas Engerser, who's taking your phone calls today. We're speaking with our spiritual director, Father Rob Kroll, S.J., about obedience and how it plays out in our lives. Father, I, just a question that I would have is what's the what's the role of conscience when it comes to obedience? Um, is it is it a I know that we it can be a reliable guide, but it al- also can be malformed. So what's the role of conscience in all of this?
1: Yeah, I think we would say as Catholics that uh, our conscience is really the voice of the Holy Spirit kind of in the depths of our own being. But as you mentioned, uh, Patrick, it needs to be properly formed. I know I can think of instances over the course of my life where people might have, for example, uh invoked their conscience in order to justify, you know, doing something against the Church's teaching. And so it's it's important that our conscience is formed by Scripture, by tradition, by the Magisterium. We also, as Catholics, are big on what we call the natural law, that God has sort of um, revealed His will for the human race, just in the way that that he's designed the human person. I mean, this becomes very important in our discussions today around sexuality and gender and all of that. Um, so, anyway, but yeah, we didn't mention before this in the in the program about the importance of following one's conscience. And you know, the church would even say that if you've tried to form your conscience well, and you're obligated to follow it, even if even if you realize like later that objectively it was wrong. I mean, because ultimately, there's no higher authority. We could say than our own conscience. And you can think about many of the great saints or uh, even more modern figures that have followed their conscience and disobeyed, for example, uh, I think about like maybe Martin Luther King or people who disobeyed laws of the country. But, uh, you know, obviously we, we applaud them for following their conscience. But again, that conscience needs to be properly, uh, properly educated. So, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. absolutely true. Well, um, we do have some uh Phone calls that have come in, too, Father. Okay. So let's uh, let's turn to Jenny, who's calling in from Clearwater, Florida. Jenny, welcome to the Inner Life.
2: Thank you very much. Good afternoon. I just uh, wanted Jenny. to share kind of my personal my personal testimony about obedience. I'm a convert, and when I first converted, it's because I found God and that God loved me. It was in the context of the Catholic Church. I didn't believe anything the church teached. I didn't care about the Pope or any, you know, the church's teachings. But then six years later, with the grace of God, I was like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And I, I didn't really trust that I could just believe what the church said, but I thought, okay, I'll start with something small. I'll stop taking the Lord's name in vain, which I had terrible habits with. And on the chance that maybe it offends him. And God and his grace helped me know that he was pleased with that. And I started reading, you know, started reading the Bible, but, my, I guess my point is each thing I, I come to have a strong conviction that everything the church teaches. I went from believing none of it to all of it. But it's when you have that conviction that it is what God wants, it makes it easier. So I guess my thought would be when you're having somebody who's having trouble with obedience to pray, to give God the conviction to you that, yeah, this is what you want. I mean, you may know that this is what you're supposed to do, but give have that conviction that, yeah, this is what God wants me to do. And that helped me. So I just wanted to share that.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks, Jenny, for calling in and sharing that testimony. And I want to just highlight two things for our listeners and what you're saying. One is you talked about this conversion was really a process. You know, you mentioned 1.6 years later this happened. And so just to highlight that, that, that obedience may involve uh, an a element of time, of ongoing Uh, growth and evolution. And and so, you know, there's a process. It's often not just kind of one and done. The other thing is you said, you know, to really pray for the grace. And I think that's really important. We haven't mentioned that yet too much in our program that with any virtue, um, we need to ask God for the gift of receiving that virtue. So obedience isn't something we can just necessarily will ourselves to embrace. We have to um, ask the Lord to give us the grace of obedience and humility, since they are so both countercultural and counter, you know, fallen uh, humanity state. And so, um, so prayer, prayer is really essential as we try to obey. So thanks for calling mm. in.
0: Yeah, thank you, Jenny, for that. That's an excellent point. And, and I, Father, what do you think about that, you know, starting maybe with something Relatively small. It might be, uh, as Jenny was saying, it might be uh, difficult to be breaking an old habit or something like that. But mm-hmm. starting obedience in, in if we're not used to it anyway, starting with something relatively small and then kind of working way up from there.
1: Yeah, I think it's beautiful, you know. And it it may be something that um, works against discouragement because if I can start with something small and I see a a real change there and I have a little victory in this area. That might give me the confidence and hope that, hey, God is actually walking with me here. Now I can try something else. So I think an incremental, maybe a a progressively incremental uh, approach is is actually kind of cool. Right, right. I like it as well.
0: And uh, Father, we also had an email coming in from Christina, who is talking about specifically our our Blessed Mother. And she says, to me, our Blessed Mother is the role model of obedience, especially when she's praying the fourth joyful mystery of the rosary. So that would be uh-huh. the presentation. Although the mother of our Lord, she was obedient to the laws of her day by following the precepts of purification and presentation. A perfect example of humility also. What would you say to that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and you and I, when we were talking about the program earlier, we thought we would want to touch on our Blessed Mother's obedience because she is such a wonderful model of it. And one of the things I really appreciate about uh, Mary's obedience is that um, while it was prompt and quick, it wasn't superficial or hurried. And also it was quite intelligent and thoughtful, because when you think about it, you know, unlike Zachariah, who kind of doubted she asked, you know, she she was willing to ask Gabriel, you know, when she didn't understand, how how can this happen? She wasn't doubting, but she was trying to figure it out in a sense, or like, how can this actually be f- true for me? How is God's Word applied to me? So, So I thought, I think that's really insightful, too, that to be obedient doesn't mean that we don't ask questions or that we have it all figured out and understood. No. One of the great Uh, aspects of our Blessed Mother's obedience is she said yes she gave her fiat even though she didn't really fully understand what this mission was she but she because she loved and trusted God she could say yes and that's that's what I would say to all of us listening is you know when I don't really understand this church teaching or I'm not really sure I understand what God is asking of me to still say yes because I I can trust God himself he is trustworthy Mm -hmm. um and, and, and Mary's uh, obedience is also very generous. It's not like she's calculating, you know, in her will and in her love. She's just really fully disposed for God's plan, and, and she's not trying to say, well, what's in it for me, or what, what am I going to get out of this? Um, so anyway, there's much to admire in, uh, in her example of obedience.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What about St. Joseph, too? I mean, what would you say for him as far as a model of obedience?
1: Oh, yeah. No, that's huge, too. I mean, he's so—and also humility, right? We were talking about the connection with humility. And, I mean, here's here's a man who, uh, you know, unlike Mary, he's not sinless, but he's, you know, invited to uh, stay faithful to Mary, even though it's going to cause scandal and people aren't going to understand because he's not the father of this child. So he was obedient. And remember, he had these dreams, right? We don't hear any words of Joseph in the Gospel, but he gets these— dreams in which God reveals to him what he wants him to do and and again you could he could have woken up and said no that was kind of a dumb dream you know but he he recognizes it as coming from God and he follows it and embraces it so yeah he's also a, a wonderful uh, example of obedience for us yeah. Yeah, wonderful.
0: And then there was another email that came in, and without going into the the details, too, Father, there is there's there's this thought about you know people who are in a position of authority and wanting to instill obedience in others, not not you know not in a harmful way, but in, in a way that actually um, nurtures faith in the Lord. And specifically, um, this this email, uh, listener is concerned about um, coming across as nagging. Daughter situation. So, um, any thoughts there as to how we might be uh, utilize authority well and and draw out you know godly obedience from others?
1: Yeah, that's that's very good actually. I think yeah, if we're in a position of authority, right, we we don't want to command obedience in a way that is going to be, you know, just alienating or where it's just a power struggle. Um, you know, we want to uh, always present the invitation to obedience in a reasonable way, and and try to you know try to explain gently but but clearly why you know the truth that we're proposing is true, and 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 so we want to appeal to to if I can put it this way, our subjects' um, intelligence and their own reason, just so that they can embrace this. You know, this call to obedience, uh, again, more willingly and more interiorly, as opposed to just saying, you know, I'm telling you to do this and you just do it. You know, I mean, often I think in like I think about in that parent child relationship. Now, you know, adolescents still might even despite all the best explanation might still disagree or still struggle. But I think there's going to be more success if the parent can explain, you know, rationally, reasonably, gently of the son or daughter you know this is why we're asking you to come home at this curfew or this is why we're not allowing you to to do this is because ultimately we love you and we want what's best for you so to see obedience as um you know, trying to help the other person to really be their best selves, right? Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm.
0: And just like our Lord, too, I would imagine there's a good reason for modeling obedience, saying that, you know, we, mm-hmm. um, well, as, as a Centurion did to Jesus, right? Said, "I said, I am a man of authority, and I have others under me, and so I say this, and they do it, I say that, and so there's no need for you to come under my roof. And uh, right, Jesus seemed right. to be pretty pretty up with that he he thought that yeah. was a pretty good deal right
1: <laughs> well and i'm thinking too when he was a 12 year old and went down you know we're told he goes down to be obedient uh to his parents yeah. you know so yeah. he lived under their roof and and we can think about how obedient he was to both mary and joseph i mean that you know that's how he learned uh was by by being obedient to them so he's done it himself you know and so if it's good enough right. for god i think it's good enough for us right so <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's probably a good rule of thumb to live by. If it's good enough for God, <laughs> right. it's good enough for us. <laughs> that's, right. that's very good. That's very good. Well, I'm... Um, we're we're just down to our last couple minutes here, Father, okay. and I'm very grateful for all of your great thoughts. I'm going to carry some of these, um, uh, some of your analogies, some of your encouragement, especially from Saint Ignatius there with us as we get into, um, well, the continued journey and adventure of following Jesus and being obedient unto Him. Right? I mean, that's something we want to see. Yeah happen all the time but um, as always father as we enter into uh, the last moments of the program here we
1: like to get a blessing from our spiritual director so may we get your blessing please before we go of course of course heavenly father ask you to send down your holy spirit in fuller measure upon our listeners today and especially help us during this holy season of lent to experience a deeper conversion of mind and heart to turn away from sin and turn towards your will so help us to be humble and obedient towards you And so may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen.
0: Amen. Father Rob Kroll, SJ, thank you so much for being our spiritual director today, Father. God bless you. We are grateful. Yeah, we are grateful for all of our spiritual directors here, and we've got some excellent shows coming up in the future. I'm Patrick Conley. I'm very glad that you've joined us here today on The Inner Life. Grateful for all that you have given to relevant radio and as you continue to listen i pray that god would be continuing to instill obedience in you and that it would be something that would be you would find joy you would find peace you would find yeah the ultimate happiness to which we are all called grateful that you've joined us today we've got the holy sacrifice of the mass coming up next don't forget to pray the rosary at 7 p.m with the family rosary across america in the meantime grace and peace